Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steffi. I am excited to welcome back to the podcast, Joey Woody, Iowa's director of track and field and cross country. Joey, thanks for joining me. You bet. Thanks for having me. So in between your trips to Eugene, let's first talk about the one that already happened with the NCAA Outdoor Championships. 10 All-Americans on the men's side, including seven first-teamers, and then women had seven All-Americans, all second team, I believe. Yeah. So um, was that your expectation going in, or was that, what were you basically expecting going into that? Well, just just as a team, as a program, you know, our, our men's team, I thought, had a shot at fighting for top 20 um, just with the number of qualifiers we had, we kind of fell a little bit short of that. I think we finished 34th or 37th, something like that. Um, so we're a little, you know, disappointed with our overall, you know, team points, but I thought the guys that, that were there competed exceptionally well. And, um, you know, we didn't have our, our full group of guys, um, that we expected at the beginning of the outdoor season. We had a few that were banged up, uh, throughout the season and didn't quite get back, but, I was really proud of how our guys competed and um, just missed making the finals in a couple of events. Um, same thing on the women's side. I thought they competed extremely well. You know, our women's four by one, you know, it's the first time we made it to the national meet, I think since 2016 or something like that in the four by one. Um, they broke the school record. They ran the second fastest all time um, at the national meet. So, you know, I, I can't be too upset with that and um, just the way they performed. And Sarah Hargrove had a tremendous meet. Uh, breaking the school record in the hundred and then just uh, running a PR and just missing out on the final in the 200. So um, again, you know, just kind of missing out on making first team all American, but I was really proud of that, that event group. Um, Women's four and hurdle group didn't have, you know, the best meet, but they've had a tremendous season. They were ranked number one all season as a, as a group um, at the NCAA level. So, you know, just really proud of just how the women competed all season um, and we've got some girls going to the U.S. championships next week. So, um, you know, really excited about, you know, just finishing the season back in Eugene. And um, to be able to get to that level is, is tough. And um, we've got a really good group going. So I was, I was really pleased with that. Um, so, yeah, we're just, you know, getting ready for um, this next week with the U.S. championships and then just kind of taking a little time off before cross country season comes back up. And then how difficult is it when you're battling those injuries throughout the outdoor season after a pretty good indoor season? You know, I think it's more mental, uh, you know, <laughs> for the coaches as well. Um, but, you know, I was really proud of just how none of the guys hung their head. Um, they all kept their heads held high and, and just competed their tails off all season. And um, I mean, we just came up short, winning another big 10 championship outside outdoor and, um, you know, they didn't let that get us down. They just continued to keep the same goals and high aspirations, um, both at the Big Ten level as well as the NCAA level. Um, you know, but it, it also bodes well for who we have returning next year. We have a ton of depth um, and those guys are coming around. You know, the guys that were injured are coming around. And I think, um, you know, we're hoping Genoa might even feel good enough to compete next week at the U.S. Championship. So he's just just a couple of weeks behind where we were hoping he'd be. But um, like I said, we've got a tremendous group of, of athletes, both men and women, and, and we're going to be bringing, you know, majority of our, our points scored at the Big Ten Championships uh, back to um, our season next year. 
And then on the women's side, it seemed to be one of improvement, even though probably not quite where you'd like it to be yet. Yeah, like I said, the the 400 hurdlers, you know, had a tremendous season. Um, you know, I think just as a as a total team, I mean, we had way more qualifiers that were freshmen and sophomores that that made it to Big Ten finals and scored points for the team than probably we've ever had. Um, so we're just we've got a lot of a great depth and a lot of youth that are contributing at a very high level. Um, I already mentioned Lacera just having a tremendous breakout season this year. Uh, Leah Love is a freshman that's run the number three uh, time all time in the hundred. Um, so she's going to be a big contributor in both the one and the two next year. And then uh, you look at our women's 800 group and, and what they've done uh, this season. Um, you know, I feel like we've got a great group of athletes that are going to come in and really know what it takes to compete at this level. are going to really take off next season as well. So um, really excited about that. Plus we've got some great incoming freshmen next year that I think can be step in and be immediate contributors for our team. And then do you see the step up that Ocero is going to be taking, or was that a surprise to you as well? <laughs> well, you know, I started, um, you know, working with her this fall and I started seeing some really good things um, just in training. And I'm, you know, just in general, I thought like she could definitely get her mindset on breaking school records, um, especially the 60, just some of the things I saw in training, um, you know, I told her that, you know, she needs to get her mind focused on breaking that school record. And so that was kind of her immediate focus. And she had a huge breakthrough, not only breaking the school record, but just missing out on making the NCAA indoor championships. Uh, so that was a huge motivator for her going into outdoor. And then she continues to have, you know, great breakout, breakout season outdoor in both the hundred and the two. And, you know, our women's four by one, I think was a good indicator of just where that group is at and, and the direction we're headed with our women's sprint group. Um, so, you know, she, like I said, she's had a tremendous season. I'm hoping that, you know, she'll make it in both the one and the two at us championships and be able to continue to build on, on those school records potentially. And then speaking of that next trip to Eugene, your few days here in between before getting right back on a plane, obviously, as we're recording this right now, still a little bit of it sounds like is still up in the air, but what are your overall expectations for next week? Well, you know, not only do we have great athletes on our in our program right now, but we have some great post-collegiate athletes that, that are still training here at Iowa. So Aaron Mallett, Jamal Britt are both two of the top hurdlers in the world right now um, that are set up really well to potentially make the world championship team. Um, it's just like every, any other meet, you know, the goal is to make the final first. Um, you know, if you make the final, anything can happen. So uh, Jamal just had a really uh, fantastic race in New York last last weekend, yesterday, actually, um, finishing fourth, um, but running a PR there. And then um, Aaron's over in Europe right now competing and getting ready for for Eugene as well. Um, but we got some great athletes. You know, Nick, um, Nick is coming back in the shot put. Um, you know, that guy's had a tremendous season for us um, this entire season. And um, Nick Curtis is really on the way to doing some big things um, as a thrower. He's going to continue to compete post-collegiately as well. Um, but he's, you know, set a PR, um, you know, last week. And, you know, I think he's on the verge of another breakthrough as well. Um, and then you just kind of look at just our overall team in general. I mean, having, we should have two women 400 hurdlers. Uh, Julian should make it in the 400 hurdles. Um, Genoa, obviously, if he's healthy, he'll run the 400. Um, so those are just our, our American athletes, but we have some um, foreign athletes as well that are competing for, for their championships also. So 
Um, you know, we've got some other athletes that are going to like, uh, Chris Douglas is trying to make the world championships. He's a post-collegiate athlete in both the high hurdles and the 400 hurdles. Um, so it's just, it's great to have that environment where our student athletes are surrounded by world championship level and, and Olympic level athletes in our program, um, that have gone through our program and that are continuing to compete at the highest level. So, um, you know, that should be good. And, you know, like I said, Lissera is hopefully battling to, to make that final in the 200 and kind of see what happens. And then this might be a little early considering it's still June, but an early look at the 2022 cross country season, what are you expecting to see there? Well, just continue to see uh, development and growth and, and uh, improvement in both the women and the men's team. Um, you know, that's another team group of athletes that we've seen some huge improvement, especially on the track over the last couple of years, you know, Max Murphy is, and Nick Tratner kind of leading the men's squad and both those guys, you know, scored in the 5k indoor at the big 10 championships. Um, you know, Max is one of the best 10k runners in the country this year and, and just missed out on making the national championships. Uh, but he's also our school record holder in the 1500. So, you know, those guys have uh, tremendous, um, you know, depth as, as well as being able to kind of go across different events. So um, really excited about kind of the development of that group. Um, and the women's team, you know, we're led by a, a lot of really good young athletes that I think are going to come in and, and contribute. Uh, we've got some great incoming freshmen, both men and women. So, you know, it's, it's always fun when you have a lot of new athletes that are, that are hungry, motivated, that, that want to prove themselves. And I think that just, you know, when you have a, a great depth in that event or in that um, in cross country in particular, you see the, the, the growth of that entire group moving, moving up because, the guys that are kind of coming in maybe on the bottom of the, of the pack, you know, they're motivated, they're going to prove themselves. And then that's going to push the, the upper, upper division of the group. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that we can, you know, have a breakthrough both men and women. And, you know, last year we didn't have the best cross country season, but I think coming off of COVID and kind of missing a year of competition really affected their development. Um, so I think having last year and then obviously a great track season, I think is going to bode well for both the men and the women. Well, thanks for joining me. You bet. Thanks for having me. It's good talking to you. And good luck with packing part two to Eugene. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. My next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast is Tom Caker, the editor and publisher of Hawkeye Report, the Iowa affiliate of the Rivals Network. Welcome back to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me on, John. I always enjoy our conversations. Me as well. So let's talk recruiting. It's been sure. an interesting month. I think it's pretty much always an interesting month right now yeah. in the recruiting world. So most recently picking up a commitment from Kendrick Raphael, a four-star running back from Naples, Florida. That's a pretty good get in another year with a four-star running back that Waddell Betts has brought in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting down to the state of Florida, I think is, uh, is important. Um, you know, they had just recently also gotten a, you know, week before a commitment from uh, David Calker, uh, who had some really nice offers, a three-star defensive lineman out of uh, Des Moines North. Uh, but he had Iowa state Minnesota offers and Raphael, uh, was, was in Iowa city this past weekend on his official visit. Um, um, so he he got got back home and uh, I, I think uh, you know kind of saw what 
what he needed to see to be comfortable. He had uh, he had went to NC State the week before. He was scheduled to go to BYU, uh, but he has decided that uh, that Iowa City is going to be his home. It was interesting because um, they also had Nolan Ray, another running back from Michigan, in this past weekend, and you, that's when you start to wonder: uh, Is this uh, two guys competing for one spot or are they open for two? You know, we have on our um, kind of hot board thing that uh, Iowa has room for one or two. I think it's going to kind of depend on what they get elsewhere too. So they may just kind of hold this and see what it looks like uh, in, you know, later on, uh, maybe after the dust kind of, kind of settles this month. Um, because this month is just going to be gigantic for them on the recruiting trail. And it seems to be the trend, not just with Raphael, but people committing to other schools that it's not long after these official visits that you can sometimes get these decisions. And I think some of it probably goes down to the fact that, as you're mentioning, there are times where you've got two people in one spot. And if you like what you see on the official visit, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to wait around and risk something. Yeah, and I, I kind of hinted at that, that sometimes it's, it's easier. Um, you know, I was talking about uh, maybe the defensive line coming up and with another kid who was on campus this past weekend, Will Hilt, uh, who is down to Iowa and Purdue. Uh, but just that, um, you know, if you're only going to take four defensive linemen and you've already got three commitments now when, when Calker committed, that means all those guys that are scheduled to come in or, you know, come or, or, or like help coming in this past weekend, but other guys who are coming in later this month on official visits, you can kind of squeeze them sometimes and say, Hey, if you're really thinking about us, uh, you might want to get here because we got other guys who could commit and they have offers. So um, we like you and uh, you, know, you can kind of, finesse them into into getting there so um i don't know that that's what happened with rafael but it it just seemed like it was a really good fit for him uh to uh to come to iowa and um give some uh you know 11 commits now in this class they're 16th in the rivals uh rankings right now uh which is a a, a nice spot to to be sitting at in june with uh you know and i i think the hope is for Iowa, and we can talk more about this as we go along, but I think their hope is that they could get to, you know, around 20 by the end of the month if things go well. And when you look at it, too, with that 16 ranking, that's if they can, and obviously recruiting changes or recruiting class rankings change okay. as we get to December. It'll look a lot different than it does now. But if they end up 16, for a school that doesn't have right now the NIL infrastructure yet, um, another thing we can talk about a little later, but doesn't have the NIL infrastructure in yet that some of the other schools in college football have. And for a school that's known more as a development program, a place that developed players like Riley Moss from really not looked at recruits into 
all Big Ten players, I'd say you'd be probably pretty happy if you end up in that 16th or probably anywhere around there too. Yeah, and I'm looking at the team rankings right now, and it's a it's a bizarre world right now. Of course, <laughs> Notre Dame is number one, and they've been killing it, and and they're always going to be up there, you know. And and Marcus Freeman's done a great job, uh, but like number two right now is Texas Tech. Number three is Cincinnati. Number four is Northwestern. Okay, but they've got like Texas Tech's got 20 commits. Cincinnati's got 20. So you know, Luke Fickle really capitalized on that success. Uh, Northwestern's been on fire lately and they they're up to 18. So that's a volume play in a lot of ways, because you look at it and I, I scroll down and I look and I find Alabama at 39 with just four commitments right now. So they're not going to be there. LSU is not going to be 37. You know, Michigan's not going to be 36. Um, you know, uh, Texas isn't going to be 27th for very long. You know, the, these other schools are going to bounce up there. Uh, but Iowa's sitting in a good spot with 11 commitments. And uh, it's interesting that the Big Ten uh, right now has, you know, Northwestern at four, Ohio State six, Penn State seven. You would expect them in the top 10, Michigan State eight, uh, Minnesota at 14. And then uh, Iowa at, and Rutgers are tied at 16. So that's seven in the top 17. Yeah. That's a pretty good spot to be in for the Big Ten at this point in the yeah. recruiting season. Yeah, it is. It is. It's. Uh, I, I think that's. Um, you know that they're, they're getting their work done early in this process, and I think that's a positive uh, for them. So, um, you know, we'll we'll you know it all. It always ends up. Things can change quite a bit. You know, guys can verbal commit is a verbal commit. And so, you know, things can change and they almost always do. So uh, we'll see where it stands in December. But right now, uh, you like where I was at with, um, you know, the getting it done in state uh, with, uh, you know, seven in state or six in state kids right now uh, in this class. And, and they're off to a great start. We should mention in in the twenty. 24 class as well, uh, where they're really, you know, uh, doing well in the in-state prospects with four verbal commitments uh, in the 2024 class and their team ranking right now, according to rivals, and I know way early, but uh, they're number four uh, in the country uh, with uh, Preston Reese, Derek Weisskopf, Cam Buffington, and uh, uh, Cody Fox uh, as their in-state commitments. So, they're, they're off to a really good start. It seems like the in-state recruiting has been heating up a little bit. Iowa oh, State has gotten a couple kids that I'm sure Iowa would have liked to have with Black, um, with Ebo, um, Patton. and Patton. Yeah, those three all in probably, what, a six-day period, seven-day period? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and – you know, Iowa State's going to end up getting some of those kids, especially from the, you know, Des Moines area. Um, I think it, it really helped them that um, they got J.J. Cole, who's a legacy recruit, a quarterback, and that, I think, helped with Black, with Kaya Black to get there. Uh, and Patton, I think, is pretty close with that group as well. So um, I, I think that certainly helped the Cyclones. But, you know, Iowa already has their quarterback in uh, Marco Lainez. So, uh, I, I think they're pretty happy with with uh, his decision 
Uh, Lainez did lose a star on Rivals uh, this last month. Um, you know, he didn't impress them enough at the at the Rivals camp in uh, New Jersey uh, in uh, um, uh, in May. I think he's he's really talented, uh, real good leader as quarterback. So uh, I like the I like the future there with him. Uh, and, and he was the guy that I want. So I think it's going to work out well for him. Yeah, and you look at the lineage, too, with the various quarterbacks who've worked with Tony Rassiope, the last two Iowa starting quarterbacks. I realize Spencer Petrus is not the most popular person among the Iowa fan base, but you know, Nate Stanley certainly had some success while he is in Iowa City, and Petrus has been the starting quarterback, which when you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, you recruit a lot of quarterbacks and not many of them elevate themselves to that starting level. So, you know, cue the Deuce Hogan mention right there. So, you know, there's something to be said there too about um, Rassiope's ability to churn out Iowa starting quarterbacks. Yeah. And I I think that's a, that's a positive too, that, um, you know, he'll, you know, he's, he's kind of got a good grasp of what Iowa, uh, what the Iowa quarterback position, what you need to do um, just because there's communication between Rassiope and, you know, back when Ken was the, the quarterback coach, I know he, uh, Tony Rassiope and Ken O'Keefe talked a lot. And um, so there's, you know, some, some cohesiveness there um, that, that I think is going to help Spencer, um, you know, Spencer's also got, uh, by the way, um, he's supposed to be going to the Manning Passing Academy here. Yeah, this um, month. So um, that'll be a interesting thing for him to uh, to attend as well and be interested to talk to Spencer uh, about some of those opportunities that he's getting. Especially because when you look at the other quarterbacks who've gone to that academy as a college counselor, it's a pretty impressive list there and to have him being able to learn from the various people there when they aren't counseling the high school prospects, that's a pretty good group to be in. Yeah, it is. And I I think it'll benefit Spencer, um, you know, help with his confidence and, um, play the path on the field, uh, for him, uh, you know, I know a lot of Iowa fans are out on Spencer Peters. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand it. But, um, you know, he's going to be your starting quarterback more than likely, uh, as long as he's healthy, start the season. And, um, you know, just to our interactions, I'm a little biased. Spencer's just a great kid. You've gotten to know him too, John. And, yeah, and, uh, really good to us. Um, and uh, so you, you want to see – kids like that have, you know, a good, uh, a good season and, and we'll see, um, how Spencer does, but, uh, I'll remain hopeful for him and, uh, hope he does have a good season. And the other thing too is, okay, you look at it, it's almost like a tale of two seasons for Petrus because the first half of the year was a much different result than the second half. Nine of the 10 touchdowns were before Purdue and uh-huh. seven of the nine interceptions were Purdue or later. Yeah. So that's a 
pretty stark difference there. So it's clear he was not 100% in that second half of the year. So that's another thing I think that sometimes it's easy to forget what the results were like when Petrus was leading the 6-0 and Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, um, injuries play a factor. I mean, you have to remember, you know, he missed – he missed some action late in the year uh, due to the injury. Uh, you remember the Northwestern game where he came out and played one series and it was very evident that he was not right. And uh, they yanked him and uh, put Padilla in there and Padilla was the quarterback for a couple games. And then Spencer had to come out of the bullpen uh, against Nebraska and uh, kind of saved the day in a lot of ways. So um, I just, I'll never forget him coming in and goes, I, I didn't know if I'd, get to talk to you guys anymore. You know? <laughs> so that's just, you know, I'm glad he had that success. And um, we'll, you know, well, there's plenty of time to debate that. I know we wanted to talk more recruiting anyway. So, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of a good segue here is we're talking about the California kid for the next thing I want to bring up. It seems like this 2023 class is a lot of geographic variety too where you have the six in-state kids, but you've also got a good geographic balance. We were mentioning Inez, New Jersey, Florida, pretty much you name the state, it seems like, particularly in the Midwest, they've had a footprint there with this 2023 class. Yeah, and you've got, you know, Indiana in there. Uh, You're always going to get into Illinois a little bit, uh, and New Jersey is... uh, traditionally been a place where Iowa has gotten players going back to the Hayden Fry years. Uh, and then the interesting one I think is, is that they've uh, chased Brackney from, from Colorado. And it's something that I talked to uh, Iowa's director of recruiting Tyler Barnes about uh, try, they're trying to expand the map a little bit more. You've seen them offer some more kids in the kind of the Dallas Metroplex area to get back into Texas a little bit more. Um, Tyler talked about, you know, some of those times when he's actually been out on the road when they've been down an assistant and, and that he's been able to, you know, maybe make some inroads in Colorado. And now they're going to try and recruit the state of Colorado a little bit more. And that led to a discussion about uh, maybe trying to get down into the Phoenix area and having LeVar Woods uh, go down to that neck of the woods where he once played for the uh, Arizona Cardinals and, um, and that was where Kyler Casper is going to Oregon. Uh, he's from that area. So they would kind of made some connections down there. And one of the offers they recently made was to like, for example, Brian Urlacher's son and uh, who lives down in Arizona. So the I, Iowa Twitter verse seemed to like that one. Yeah. Except for the Packer fans on, on <laughs> ever you and Morehouse. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the Gazette tradition of having Packers fans as <laughs> Hawkeye beat writers. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, that little interim when you had uh, had uh, had a Cowboy fan in there. Yeah, we had to shake that up, but then going right back to our wheelhouse. <laughs> so, you know, that was, I think, the prime qualification that got me this job. But... Yeah, you look at, it's interesting to see that changing footprint. And the two states that you mentioned, Colorado and Arizona, are not ones where you have a dominant top 25 program there year in, year out. And Iowa has been getting a little more attention. 
lately with playing in the Big Ten championship game last year, also in 2015. So maybe you see a little more if they can keep the momentum that they had this past year, which obviously is easier said than done, considering this 2022 schedule is not easy in the Big Ten. But as maybe they get a little more visibility, maybe you see a little more success with that. Yeah, and I think one of the, um, you know, one of the things that they always look for when they pushed into Georgia, uh, you know, several years back and, you know, got guy like Tyler Goodson, for example, one of the one of the thoughts when they started getting into that area was you've got direct flights from Atlanta to Cedar Rapids. And I think that's kind of one of those selling points with the um, looking at Phoenix uh, you've got, you know, flights that go directly from Phoenix Mesa to, uh, to uh, Cedar Rapids or the Quad Cities. And, I think- and now you too have Phoenix Sky Harbor going into Cedar Rapids. So my business reporter knowledge here coming in handy on the sports beat. Yeah. So it's, um, so you've got those direct flights just make all the, all the difference in the world uh, to, um you know, parents who want to fly up and see their kid. And if they can come in on a Friday and go back on a Sunday, hey, that's perfect for a uh, family and uh, to come up and see their kid play football. Uh, so I think that's going to be, um, you know, why they're trying to get into, into Phoenix while, you know, Arizona State and Arizona are struggling a little bit. And maybe the Pac-12 doesn't recruit it as hard or you can get some decent players out of there. And Colorado – you know, I think there's some flights that you can get from Denver uh, to mm-hmm. various places. So uh, you can make those make that a, a workable trip uh, for for parents. So it's just so important um, part of the equation. And that's, you know, why they Dallas, you get flights every day coming from Dallas to Cedar Rapids. Yeah. And parents want to see their kids play. That's yeah. one thing that is abundantly clear and it has a lot of things can change in college football. That's kind of one of the few things that really seems to always be a constant in recruiting is, hey, parents want to see their kids play considering how much time they've invested and money invested in various camps and such that you want to be able to see the you know, dreams come into fruition. And that's a perk there. Absolutely. It's a, it's a total perk. So um yeah we'll see how that goes see if they can uh you know make something happen yeah and then another thing it seems like the nil space is constantly evolving you talked a little bit with the future person in charge of the collective who right now doesn't want his name out there yet (laughs) but um what have you so for now although i'm sure it will get out pretty quickly considering it doesn't take much searching to put two and two together but on um, what have you been hearing on the collective front yeah um so we had a podcast and it happens to be one of the guys from our message board who is kind of spearheading this now he is not going to be the director um he has hired someone who i think might be starting next week so uh, with the, the Swarm Collective, they're getting the, the website built out uh, so fans can go there and 
make contributions and, and do those sorts of things. I think they're, they're trying to line up some seed money to kind of get things going uh, a little bit. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's going to be a 501c3 uh, for part of it. There's also going to be an, an LLC on the other side of it. Uh, so there's kind of two, um, two paths that, that uh, fans or businesses can get involved. Uh, and they're not looking to make this be like a recruiting inducement. Now, that would be illegal. But there are people who are still who are doing that. Obviously, you know, you've seen these guys getting, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in endorsements when they commit to a school. Um, you know, that's I think kind of against the spirit of what this was supposed to be. But it is what it is. The the toothpaste is out of the tube, uh, and it's not going back in. But Iowa is just not going to hand uh players um you know checks for four hundred thousand dollars for example to come to a school they're just not that's not how they're at least um on the football side i'll just say that on the i i, I think maybe basketball has to operate differently but i think kirk is most comfortable uh, and we're talking about uh football today uh, I, I just think that's where they're going to be is, is in that space where they're just going to, they're going to try and build up a, a fund and give as many of the guys as they can, you know, like 1500 bucks a month or something, or a thousand a month, depending on how much people contribute to it and make that a regular contribution to the, they would get a monthly kind of stipend, if you will. And they're going to tie it to um, doing charity work and doing work for, uh, others helping out with events, uh, not from nonprofit organizations and things of that nature. So it's kind of a win-win to raise awareness for causes, good causes that need supporting. And also they're going to make some, make some decent money. I mean, you know, over 12 months, you know, it's, it's a, a, a decent little chunk of change, uh, that can add up, I think. Uh, and that doesn't preclude them from making their own deals like uh, Caitlin Clark making a deal with uh, High V, Yeah. Me making a deal with um, a wrestling company of some sort, you know, uh, they can also make those deals too. So, uh, but I think they want to do some more facilitation with that to facilitate partnerships between um, student athletes and companies that might be looking. And so that's where that other the LLC arm could potentially help make those things happen as well. And one thing you said that I want to emphasize to listeners, because I think it's probably one of the most common misconceptions, is this is not the, okay, such and such recruiters and again, $8 million check from the Iowa Collective. Yeah. Even though there are collectives that have been rumored to be doing those things, that's yeah. not what is happening here at Iowa. This is, if it's a thousand a month, that's $12,000 a year. If they get up to 2000, that's 24,000 a year. Which yeah. if you were to give me $24,000 when I was a college sports reporter at Marquette, I would have been a very happy college student. Yeah. And I think pretty much any college student is going to be happy with that amount. 
but it's not going to be, at least it doesn't appear to be these astronomical numbers. If, if somebody wants to step up and give them millions and millions of dollars, then that's going to change the equation. But uh, at this point, uh, it looks like it's just going to be more along the lines of kind of a stipend, a nice stipend. And that's going to go along with, um, you know, I think something that you reported on too, the, the, the academic performance incentives where they can give them some money for that. Yeah, um, up to $5,980, $5,980 yeah. a year. So, and that's, that's a nice, uh, if when I was in college, if I would have got a $6,000 check, I would have been a very happy man. <laughs> Probably would have been taking that to the nearest bar or, or tavern of some sort. You know, yeah, or a casino, yeah. But back in my day, we didn't have the casino, only in Vegas. <laughs> Back in my day, we did not have the casino. So, uh, yeah, it's a great point with the academic reward payments, too. How that adds another thing that obviously not anything mind blowing, but those things add up. I think if you took a poll of the Iowa student athlete population, I don't think there'd be many people opposed with the 5980 payments. And one of the things that I heard after reporting on that from some fans is, concern about if this is going to mean higher ticket pricing or something for Iowa fans. And when you look at the grand scheme of things, $5,980 spent per athlete, and that's the maximum. That's a pretty small drop in the bucket for the Iowa Athletic Department, relatively speaking, compared to other things. When Kirk, for example, gets paid $7 million dollars plus incentives the total for any if every athlete got the maximum wouldn't be half of that yeah and you look at it if if you know a football player is there for five years and gets you know 20 grand a year i mean that's you know a hundred thousand bucks is not something to sneeze at during your college career i mean that's a when when you add it up and look at it from that perspective it's a nice chunk of change you know that you would have gotten a hundred thousand dollars and that's not including, you know, going out and hustling your own buck too, doing your own thing, uh, you know, selling gear and things like that. So um, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, how I think across Iowa athletics, the opinions on NIL have shifted where Lisa Bluter was saying at an event I was at earlier in the off season that she was an NIL skeptic early on and, how she's really changed her tune on it. So as you said, the toothpaste is out of the bottle. This is the college sports world that we live in these yep. days. It's, this is going to be the world we live in from here on out. Uh, it's not going away. Uh, so you might as well embrace it and get comfortable with it. And the thing that I've, I've noted to a lot of people uh, is that because they'll always ask me, well, well, Tom, why are the, why is Iowa so far behind? I, this is, there are a lot of places that you can imagine uh, that have done well so far uh, where the infrastructure to do these sorts of things was already in place in a uh, more of a, let's just say a black market kind of thing, uh, if you will. Um, uh, and, and they have been able to kind of move those more quickly um, because they have an infrastructure uh, that has been set up. 
uh, already and probably amped up even more uh, because now it's quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes here, legal uh, to do. So that's why you see um, some places getting up and going it. And where Iowa were, this is just sort of like, it's not what they do. You know, it's just not what Iowa does. Iowa doesn't play it, hasn't played in that sandbox. So they're trying to do it. Uh, it has, it's been a heavy lift to get it up and running. Um, you know, some guys that were trying to get it going early, I think kind of got frustrated or just weren't as um, passionate about it as uh, Texhawk, my, my uh, message board guy who's who's changing the, who just got in, involved and took the bull by the horns and made it, made it happen. Cause if he didn't do that, I'm not sure where they'd be at with the collective right now. I don't know. And the other thing too, is it isn't like Iowa has a Phil Knight. There are only so many of those people <laughs> who just have the unlimited checkbook. Obviously there have been some very generous donors for Iowa Obviously, like the Moon family comes to mind right well, away. Like Will and Renee Moon, who, you know, gave like, what, 10 million bucks to the yeah. football program. and, and Which other... makes Kurt Ferentz the Moon head coach, not yes. just any head coach. Yes, he's, he's now uh, the Will Moon head coach. So. Yeah. So that's the other thing, too, I think that's important for people to remember is okay, there isn't, some places have been very fortunate with having one alum with a very, very big wallet. And there are people with big wallets, but maybe not that big of wallets to get this thing going. And you don't know how sustainable the places that have been getting these seven-figure enticements um, are, what's going to happen there? What's going to happen when uh, somebody who spent a half million dollars on a recruit and then that recruit just turns out not to be great and the coach is never playing them uh you know how your return on investment is not as strong um you know or they get those kids get frustrated um you know it's because the way they've set these up where they do those big payments is it's almost like a personal services contract in, in a lot of ways is what they, how they structure it. You're not, you can't say in any of those contracts, there's gotta be a contract to get the money and perform certain services, be it, you know, Instagram posts or Twitter posts or showing up at events or birthday parties or, you know, whatever it is, uh, autograph signings at a car dealership, however you set it up. Uh, but, um, Nowhere in there can it say um, you have to sign to go play football at school X. You know, it's, it's all like, it's almost like it's personal service between the, the collective. Now it's implied, obviously, you're not going to mm-hmm. give um, money, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollars, and then he's not going to go to your school. Uh, but it's kind of like, it's the wink, wink part of the, the, uh, how business is done. Yeah. And all this coming into, yeah, it's a whole new world. Um, Shorter term though, than the discussion on collectives, which, you know, not going anywhere. We'll have that for seemingly now on. Seems like this last weekend in June will be the 
big visit weekend for Iowa, having one recruit in earlier in the week so then they can get out to North Carolina. But it seems to be that June 24th through 26th, the Hanson Football Performance Center will be hopping with future, well, possible future Hawkeyes. Yeah, right now um, it's going to end up, you know, it could change because there are guys who um, verbally commit elsewhere that have kind of, and we've seen some of that already, Uh, but there may be some additions too. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens right now. They're at 24, um, which is an enormous, I think 25 is like where they feel more more comfortable. I think it was at 28 at one point. Uh, So it's a lot of, a lot of guys now. Now it is worth noting that that nine of them are currently committed. So you know, guys like uh, Aiden Hall and Alex Moda and Chase Brackney and John Nestor and uh, Zach Lutmer and uh, guys like that. Uh, um, Lainez, um, they're all going to be in town that weekend on uh, official visits. Um, so. I guess Lainez is not, yeah, he is. He's going to be on, I think. So anyway, uh, but those guys will be on their officials. So they're trying to, I, I think, lock down a good number of guys. Uh, you know, I think we could expect a decision one way or another from like Will Helt, who visited last weekend, and he's down to Iowa and Purdue. He's a defensive end, 6'6", 240. Um, but he can make a decision anytime and that may fill out their, their requirement of defensive linemen. Now they still might take another one. We'll see. Uh, but they'd be getting close to full at some of the positions. Like they're only going to take one quarterback. So that's why you don't see anymore. Once the quarterback spot gets filled, it's filled. So. Yeah. That's why Iowa wasn't trying to get cold for a while. Yeah. Yeah, they had because he was going to actually come and visit. Uh, so uh, then Lainez committed. And, um, you know, the positions I'm looking at right now, like uh, wide receiver with uh, Bryson Powell and, and Jerron Tibbs coming in uh, for visits. And we've got them at like 50 percent on the on the uh, on our board. So I could see, you know, if they get both those guys to go with Moda, then you're up to to uh, the three wide receivers the uh, obviously offensive line is super interesting with, especially with Caden Proctor, who's touring the country right now um, and not taking an official to Iowa, but I, I, I'm told he's going to uh, be visiting uh, for one of the games in, in uh, uh, during the season, maybe Iowa state might be um, Michigan. Who knows, but the five-star top offensive lineman in the country, uh, you know, he's Bama and Penn State and Oregon and never play else. Uh, you name it. Yeah, he he go wherever he wants to go, uh, but I, I still, you know, I put in my uh, my fearless forecast for for uh, uh, him to Iowa back in December. I haven't wavered from it. I'm not as confident as I was at that point in time, but I'm still, um, we're still having at 50% on our, on our board. I'm, I'm, 
I'm more above 50%, but I'm not at the like 99% that I was at one point, just because you never know. With, yeah. But, you know. And when he's taking official visits to a bunch of other schools, they can have some pretty strong sales pitches. Yeah. Um, and lots of bags, probably. <laughs> seeing in the golf tour you throw enough money at people they they do things so um there's another kid chris Tarek, uh, from glen ellen illinois who's coming in for a visit that I, I think i was got a great shot at getting um so that'll be a position where they're they're um looking to lock up uh asa newsome uh from uh, waverly is coming in on his uh visit and looking to get one more linebacker to go with Ben Keeter and uh, Aiden Hall, two in-state kids. So, uh, and I think defensive back is going to be a real focus uh, for Phil Parker with Khalil Tate coming in. Uh, Bo Masco, a kid from Florida, is coming in for a visit. Uh, And Masco with a decision coming pretty soon too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got to see what happens with some of these uh, defensive backs, but I know they want to get four or five this year. And right now they've got two. Well, Tom, thanks for joining me again. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, and uh, always a pleasure to talk recruiting with, uh, with uh, the uh, Gazette podcast. Yes. Pleasure is all mine. Thank and you. thank you to our listeners for tuning into another episode of the Hawk off the press podcast. I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, we will talk Fox later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.